6. Fiki. Prophetic and historic pictures of the little horn. This is plainly the picture presented by the prophet. As we look again, observing details more closely, the prophet beheld the division of the Roman Empire into a lesser kingdoms. Then, springing up among these kingdoms, he saw the little horn power subduing three of the ten kingdoms, speaking great words, and making war with the saints of God. It was to be a religious power. Then, ruling among the kings of the earth, and asserting religious dominion over the faith and consciences of men, the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. Illustration, the invasion of the Roman Empire by the Huns, we see the barbarian peoples of the north sweeping down upon the empire, breaking it up, and establishing within its boundaries the various kingdoms that are to this day represented by the kingdoms of Western Europe. Page 127, we look to history. And this is what plainly appears, we see, as described in the prophecy, a time when ten contemporaneous kingdoms filled the territory of the original Western Empire. Just there we see an ecclesiastical kingly power rise to a religious supremacy the Roman papacy. We see, through its influence, three of the ten kingdoms overthrown, plucked up by the roots, three Aryan or heretical kingdoms. And as we watch the history, we find this power making war with the saints and prevailing against them through long ages. A Roman Catholic writer describes it in a paragraph, long ages ago, when Rome through the neglect of the Western emperors was left to the mercy of the barbarous hordes. The Romans turned to a one figure for aid and protection, and asked him to rule them, and thus, in this simple manner, the best title of all to kindly right, commenced the temporal sovereignty of the popes, and meekly stepping to the throne of Caesar. The Vicar of Christ took up the scepter to which the emperors and kings of Europe were to bow in reverence through so many ages. Ref. James P. Conroy, in American Catholic Quarterly Review, April, 1911. Yet again we look at the picture presented in prophecy. Then we turn to history, and precisely where and when the prophet saw the little horn coming up. We see the Roman papacy rising to supremacy. We see this ecclesiastical power wielding a kingly scepter among the kingdoms of divided Rome exalting itself above them, with a look, more stout than his fellows, we hear it speaking great words, and we see it carrying on warfare against the saints, clearly, there was no other power in history, rising at that time and in that place, which suggests the slightest correspondence to the prophecy, in every detail the Roman papacy does correspond to it, the prophetic outline has brought us to the rise of the great apostasy, so fully dealt with in the New Testament prophecy, but there are further specifications in this prophecy of the 7th of Daniel which demand brief study. Illustration, raising the siege of Rome, A.D. 538 The crushing defeat of the Goths by the armies of Justinian, who placed Vigilis in the papal chair under the military protection of his famous general, Belisarius. The twelve sixty years of Daniel's prophecy compressed into 44 words. The age-long story of the workings of the Roman papacy is thus told by the angel who interpreted Daniel's vision of the little horn, he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Dan. 7.25. The spirit of this apostasy was abroad in apostolic days. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, said the Apostle Paul. To Thess, to colon 7, and this power is to continue to a work until the end, when it will be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. Verse 8, a prophetic period but according to the word of the angel to Daniel, there was to be a period during which, in a special sense, 
the papacy was to hold supremacy over the saints and the times and the laws of the Most High. They shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. In the scriptures the word, time, used in this manner, means a year, at the end of times, even years. Dan. 11.13. Margin. Therefore a time one year and times two years and the dividing of time half a year means three years and a half. The same period is mentioned twice in the twelfth chapter of Revelation. Once verse 14 is, a time, and times, and half a time, and again verse 6 is, a thousand two hundred and three score days. But in the symbolic representations of time in prophecy, a day stands for a year C is, four colon five, six, and other scriptures. Thus the prophecy foretold a long period of 1260 years during which papal supremacy would continue. Now we may ask, when was this supremacy to begin? What would mark the rise of the papacy to acknowledge supremacy? And what events mark the ending of the 1260 years? A pivotal point in history the answer of history to the voice of prophecy is clear. The 6th century was a pivotal period in the history of the world. The bishops of Rome had been asserting the claims of that seat or see above all others. Justinian was emperor of the east. Of Justinian and his time Barry says, he may be likened to a colossal Janus bestriding the way of passage between the ancient and medieval worlds. His military achievements decided the course of the history of Italy, and affected the development of Western Europe, and his ecclesiastical authority influenced the distant future of Christendom. History of the Later Roman Empire. Volume I pages 351-353. Of this turning point in the world's history. Finlay says, the changes of centuries pass eight in rapid succession before the eyes of one generation. Greece under the Romans. Page 231. Just here we find the papacy lifted definitely into acknowledged supremacy. Imperial Rome had already left its ancient seat to the papacy. The imperial throne being no longer maintained at Rome. The Bishop of Rome was left the chief figure in the ancient seat of the Caesars. The prophecy of Ref. 13 colon 2 had said of the relation of the old imperial power to the papacy. The dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. The seat was given, and now imperial Rome was to give to papal Rome the definite recognition of its supreme power and great authority. Papal supremacy officially recognized in AD 533 the emperor Justinian promulgated a letter, having the force of an imperial decree, recognizing the absolute headship of the bishop of Rome over the churches. It declared, we have been sedulous to subject and unite all the priests of the Orient throughout its whole extent to the sea of your holiness, for we do not suffer that anything which is moved, however clear and unquestionable, pertaining to the state of the churches, should fail to be made known to your holiness, as being the head of all the churches, for, as we have said before, we are zealous for the increase of the honor and authority of your sea in all respects. Cobb, Justin, Lib. 1, Title 1. Moroni, Annales Ecclesiasticide, Tom, VII, and 533, seconds 12 translation as given in, The Petrine Claims, by R.F. Littledale, page 293, from this decree for such it really was the Roman authorities date the official recognition of the supremacy of the papacy, some have taken a later decree by Emperor Focus A.D. 606 as a starting point, but Drive Crowley says, the highest authorities among the civilians and analysts of Rome spurn the idea that Focus was the founder of the supremacy of Rome, they ascend to Justinian as the only legitimate source, and rightly date the title from the memorable year 533, the Apocalypse of St. John, pages 172, 173, 
the sword of empire cleaves the way that great authority had been recognized. But at this time heretical Aryan powers compassed the papal seat about. The Aryan vandals were persecuting Catholics in Africa, Corsica, and Sardinia, and an Aryan Gothic king ruled Italy from Ravenna, his capital. The imperial arms, however, were at the service of orthodoxy. In 533-534, Justinian's famous general, Belisarius, uprooted the vandals. The war for the faith and the empire was carried into Italy also, against the Aryan Goths. In 536 Belisarius, and opposed, entered Rome at the invitation of the Pope. But the next year the Goths rallied all their forces to retake the city. It was a crisis in the struggle for Italy. If a single post had given way, says Gibbon, the Romans, and Rome itself, were irrecoverably lost. The Goths withdrew, defeated, in 538, and this defeat, says Hodgkin, dug the grave of the Gothic monarchy in Italy. Illustration, the Pope entering Street Peters from the Vatican The famous statue of St. Peter may be seen on the right. Though the conflict went on for years before the Goths were rooted up, this defeat of 538 was a crucial hour in their history. Finlay says, with the conquest of Rome by Belisarius, the history of the ancient city may be considered as terminating, and with his defense against Wittages commences the history of the Middle Ages. Greece under the Romans. Page 295. Roughly speaking, the Middle Ages and the age of papal supremacy and power were the same. A new order of popes not only was there this telling stroke by the imperial sword in 538, helping to clear the way before the papacy, but at the same time the first of a new order of popes was placed upon the papal throne by the imperial arms. Pope Silveris, accused of sympathy with the Goths, was deposed by Belisarius in 537. The emperor intervened, and the question of the validity of his deposition was held up by the emperor until 538. In that year, as Shaw says, Vigilis, a pliant creature of Theodora, ascended the papal chair under the military protection of Belisarius 538-554, History of the Christian Church, Volume III, page 327, Illustration, the famous sacred stairway in Rome here Luther, climbing the stairway on his knees, heard the message, the just shall live by faith, with him begins a new order, though personally he was humiliated by the emperor's demands, and the papacy itself was brought into a state of subjection that it had not known even under heretical Gothic kings. Yet this very arbitrary use of the papal prerogative by Justinian, strengthened the idea that the Pope of Rome was the supreme authority in religion, to speak for the universal church. In De Mont and Mano's textbook on Medieval Europe, page 120, we read, down to the 6th century all popes are declared saints in the martyrologies. Vigilis 537-555 is the first of a series of popes who no longer bear this title, which is henceforth sparingly conferred, from this time on the popes, more and more involved in worldly events, no longer belong solely to the church, they are men of the state, and then rulers of the state, a persecuting power following Vigilis came Pelagius I-556-560, who ascended dethroned by the military aid of nurses, then the imperial general in Italy, and Pelagius, who had been set in the papal see by imperial power, began to demand that the sword of the empire should be used against bishops or members in the church who did not give way to the authority of the Pope. His letters on this subject are an unqualified defense of the principles of persecution. See, Dictionary of Christian Biography, by Smith and Wace. Art, Pope Pelagius, 
the prophecy declared that the papacy would be given special supremacy during a period of 1260 years. In AD 533 came the memorable imperial declaration recognizing that supremacy, and in AD 538 came the stroke with the sword of Rome, cleaving the way, and there began the new order of popes, men of the state, and then rulers of the state. Thus decisive events clearly mark the beginning of the prophetic period of the 1260 years, and just 1260 years from the decree of 533, in recognition of the papal supremacy, came a decree in 1793, aimed against that supremacy, and just 1260 years from that stroke with the sword at Rome in behalf of the papacy, came a stroke with the sword at Rome against the papacy. Illustration, storming of the Bastille prison in Paris an event in the French Revolution which marked the ending of the old autocratic order. Footnotes, e the exact date should be 538, as given in the quotation from Schaff's history, from the death of Silveri's June. 538 The Roman Catholic writers date the Episcopacy of Vigilis, Bauer, History of the Popes, under year 538, the dawn of a new era the end of the 1260 years as the generation in which the papal power rose to supremacy was a turning point in the history of the world, so, too, was the generation in which the 1260 years of its supremacy came to an end, this measuring line of prophecy does more than run from date to date. It connects two great crises in human history, the events of the first tending to establish the papal rule over men, the events of the second signalizing a breaking of those bands, a crisis in history papal supremacy came at that time of which Finlay says, the changes of centuries pass eight in rapid succession before the eyes of one generation, the measuring line of 1260 years runs on through the centuries till, lo, its end touches another time of crisis, Europe in the convulsions of the French Revolution when again changes, ordinarily requiring centuries, were wrought out before the eyes of men within the space of a few years. Lamartine wrote of that time, these five years are five centuries for France. History of the Gyrondists. Book 61. Second 16 volume III. Page 544. And the events of these times proclaimed the prophetic period of papal supremacy ended at last. Thus. In A.D. 533 came the notable decree of the papacy's powerful supporter, recognizing its supremacy, and then the decisive stroke by the sword at Rome in A.D. 538, cleaving the way for the new order of popes the rulers of state. Exactly 1260 years later, in 1793, came the notable decree of the papacy's once powerful supporter, France, the eldest son of the church, aiming to abolish church and religion followed by a decisive stroke with the sword at Rome against the papacy, in 1798, significant events of the French Revolution of the Decree of 1793, W. H. Hutton says, on November 26, 1793, the convention, of which 17 bishops and some clergy were members, decreed the abolition of all religion, age of revolution, page 156, the frenzy of the days of the terror presented the spectacle of outraged humanity goaded to desperation by centuries of oppression in the name of religion and divine right, rising up and madly breaking every restraint, because in the minds of the people the papacy stood for religion, they blindly struck at religion itself, and at God, in whose name the papal church had done its cruel work through the centuries, in the prophecy of Ref. 11.3.14 these events of the wild days of the French Revolution are specifically referred to as coming at the close of the prophetic period of the 1260 years, the prophetic picture was so clear that over a hundred years before the time, Jiru, 
an eminent French student of prophecy, wrote that he could not doubt that he is France, the chief supporter of the papacy, that would give the shock as of an earthquake to the great spiritual Babylonian city. He wrote of France, one of the ten parts of divided Rome, this tenth part of the city shall fall. With respect to the papacy, it shall break with Rome, and the Roman religion. The accomplishment of the prophecies, London, 1687, part 2, page 265. And so it came to pass. Far beyond France the movement reached. Canon Trevor says of the wave of revolt against absolutism that passed over Europe, it is worthy of observation that only those nations which eschewed popery were able to resist the tide. Every throne and every church, without exception, that owned the supremacy of Rome, was prostrate in the dust. Rome and its papal rulers. Page 436. The decree of the French Convention in 1793 was followed by the stroke with the sword at Rome in 1798. The full history is told in fewest words by a Roman Catholic writer, Ref. Joseph Riccoby, of the Jesuit Society, when, in 1797, Pope Pius VI fell grievously ill. Napoleon gave orders that in the event of his death no successor should be elected to his office, and that the papacy should be discontinued, but the Pope recovered. The peace was soon broken, Berthier entered Rome on the 10th of February, 1798, and proclaimed a republic. The aged pontiff refused to violate his oath by recognizing it, and was hurried from prison to prison in France, broken with fatigue and sorrows. He died on the 19th of August, 1799, in the French fortress of Valence, aged 82 years. No wonder that half Europe thought Napoleon's veto would be obeyed, and that with the Pope the papacy was dead. The Modern Papacy. Page 1 Catholic Truth Society. London. These events of the French Revolution marked the ending of the prophetic period of papal supremacy. A deadly wound had been given the papacy, and the blow with the sword at Rome was struck in 1798, just 1260 years from the year 538, when the sword of empire struck that decisive blow against the Goths at Rome, and prepared the way for the new order of popes, the kindly rulers of church and state. Of the condition of the papacy at this time Canon Trevor says, the papacy was extinct, not a vestige of its existence remained, and among all the Roman Catholic powers not a finger was stirred in its defense. The Eternal City had no longer prince or pontiff, its bishop was a dying captive in foreign lands, and the decree was already announced that no successor would be allowed in his place. Rome and its papal rulers. Page 440. No wonder that half Europe, the Jesuit writer says, thought Napoleon's veto would be obeyed, and that with the Pope the papacy was dead. But he adds that, since then the papacy has been lifted to a pinnacle of spiritual power, and reached before. The stroke dealt the papacy by the French Revolution was not to be the ending of it, by any means. According to the prophecy, these events proclaimed the ending of the prophetic period of special supremacy. Another prophecy distinctly indicates that following the deadly blow there would come a revival of the papacy's influence. Just as the Catholic writer describes it, the prophet John, speaking of the same power, says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? Ref. 13,3. 4. We see the healing process still going on, with evidences multiplying that the world is more and more wondering after the papal power. A new era of liberty and enlightenment with the ending of the 1260 years of papal supremacy. A new order was ushered in. The papacy had stood for absolutism in state as well as church.
Now the power of absolutism was broken. Absolute monarchy, Edmund Burke said at the time, breathed its last without a struggle. There came the dawn of an era of greater religious liberty and enlightenment, that has spread blessings over all lands. The prophecy had said of the papacy, that the saints and the times and laws of the Most High were to be given into his hand for 1260 years, as foretold in Christ's prophecy map. 24 minutes and 22 seconds. These days of the tribulation of God's saints were shortened. The power of the Reformation weakened the oppressing hand, even before the prophetic period ran out. And when the full 1260 years closed, the world saw the grip of that papal hand yet further loosened, and God's providence at work preparing the way for a worldwide proclamation of his gospel, bearing witness against the perversions of the papal apostasy, and restoring to men the word and laws of the Most High. The record of history witnesses that this time prophecy of the 1260 years of papal supremacy was exactly fulfilled. The Lord speaks in prophecy that men may know that he is the living God. In these time prophecies of his word, he gives assurance not only that this troubled world has not escaped from the hand of its maker, but that its times are in his hand also, and that when the time of his divine purpose fully comes, he will surely cut his work short in righteousness, and end the reign of sin on earth. As the prophetic period of Dan, 725 meets its fulfillment in the history of the papacy, even so, we shall see, the work of the Roman Church answers to the further specifications regarding the doings of this, little horn, of Daniel's prophecy, the work of the, little horn, power the prophetic picture of the rise and work of the, little horn, finds its exact counterpart in the history of the Roman papacy, the place, the little horn was seen by the prophet rising in the field of the Roman Empire. That was the very place where the great kingdom of the papacy appeared, taking the name of Roman. The time, the rise of the ecclesiastical kingdom of the little horn power in the prophecy followed the breaking up of the Roman Empire into the ten kingdoms. Just so the ecclesiastical kingdom of the Roman papacy rises to view in history immediately following the division of the empire. The period of supremacy. The prophecy allotted 1260 years to the full supremacy of this power. History responds that from the beginning of the papal supremacy, in the days of Justinian, a period of 1260 years brings us into the stirring events of the last decade of the 18th century, that gave to the papacy a deadly wound. One further set of specifications remains for study, the work, of the nature and work of the power represented by the little horn. The prophecy declares, He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Dan. 7.25. Do we find in the record that the Church of Rome has fulfilled these specifications also? The scripture prophecy is absolutely a word photograph of the workings of the papal church. Look at the main features. 1. Speaking great words against the Most High. 2. Wearing out the saints of the Most High. 3 thinking to change the times and the laws of the Most High. Every count in the indictment may be clearly proved, and that by testimony from Roman Catholic sources, he shall speak great words against the Most High, as Daniel observed the little horn power. He heard it speaking, very great things. The angel declared that these great swelling words were really against the Most High. And what could be more against the honor of the Most High than that to mortal man should be ascribed the titles and attributes of divinity? Here are some of the great words, all the names which are attributed to Christ in Scripture, implying his supremacy over the Church, are also attributed to the Pope. Bellarmine, on the authority of councils, book 2, chap. 17, 
This ruling has been actually applied through the ages, says Eliot. Look at the Sicilian ambassadors prostrate before him, Pope Martinity, with the cry, Lamb of God, that takest away the sins of the world. Hori Apocalyptici, Part 4, Chap. 5, Seconds 2. Illustration, Christians imprisoned beneath the Colosseum awaiting martyrdom, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Dan, 725, the Pope is of so great dignity and excellence, that he is not merely man, but as if God, and the Vicar of God non sit simplex homo, said quasi dues, et de vicaries, the Pope alone is called Most Holy, Divine Monarch, and Supreme Emperor, and King of Kings. The Pope is of so great dignity and power that he constitutes one and the same tribunal with Christ facietinum et idem tribunal quid Christo, so that whatsoever the Pope does seems to proceed from the mouth of God aboard a prompt bibliotheca, thriaris, art, papa, thriaris is ecclesiastical dictionary Roman Catholic, art, the Pope, quoted in Guinness's Romanism and the Reformation, page 16, these are no merely extravagant adulations of the Dark Ages, to be repudiated by the moderns, these terms express the unchanging doctrinal claims of the Roman Church, that put man in the place of God, the modern Pope Leo XII, in an encyclical letter dated June 20, 1894, repeated the claim, we hold upon the surf the place of God Almighty, the great encyclical letters of Leo XII, New York, Bensiger Brothers, page 304, thus does the papacy, speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. All through the Dark Ages we catch glimpses of the ruthless hand of Rome laid upon simple believers in God's Holy Word, but plans for wholesale wearing out of the saints of God were devised as the Waldenses and others, rose to a widespread work of witnessing. Heralds of the dawn of the coming Reformation, these who gave earliest notice, as the lark springs from the ground the morn to gratulate, who, rather, rose the day to antedate, by striking out a solitary spark. When all the world with midnight gloom was dark the harbingers of good whom bitter hate in vain endeavored to exterminate. Wordsworth, Pope Innocent III gave orders concerning them as follows, Therefore by this present apostolical writing, we give you a strict command that, by whatever means you can, you destroy all these heresies and expel from your diocese all who are polluted with them. You shall exercise the rigor of ecclesiastical power against them and all those who have made themselves suspected by associating with them. They may not appeal from your judgments, and, if necessary, you may cause the princes and people to suppress them with the sword. Quoted from Magni, 214, Call, 71, in Thatcher and McNeil's source book for medieval history, page 210, as the truth spread, so also the papal church redoubled its efforts by sword and flame. The historian Lecky says, that the Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind, will be questioned by no Protestant who has a competent knowledge of history. The memorials, indeed, of many of her persecutions are now so scanty that it is impossible to form a complete conception of the multitude of her victims, and it is quite certain that no powers of imagination can adequately realize their sufferings. History of the Rise and Influence of the Spirit of Rationalism in Europe. Volume II. Page 32. Motley, in his, Rise of the Dutch Republic, Part 3, Chap. 2, tells how Philip I.I. of Spain who declared that he would, never consent to be the sovereign of heretics, sent the Duke of Alva to take over the Netherlands, early in the year the most sublime sentence of death was promulgated which has ever been pronounced since the creation of, the world, 
The Roman tyrant Nero wished that his enemies' heads were all upon a single neck, that he might strike them off at a blow, the Inquisition assisted Philip to place the heads of all his Netherlands subjects upon a single neck for the same fell purpose. Upon February 16, 1568, a sentence of the Holy Office condemned all the inhabitants of the Netherlands to death as heretics. From this universal doom only a few persons, especially named, were accepted. A proclamation of the king, dated ten days later, confirmed this decree of the Inquisition, and ordered it to be carried into instant execution, without regard to age, sex, or condition. This is probably the most concise death warrant that was ever framed. Three millions of people, men, women, and children, were sentenced to the scaffold in three lines. Roman Catholic writers admit that the Papal Church has sought to exterminate what it calls heresy, by the power of the sword. The Western Watchman Street Lewis, December 24, 1908, says, The Church has persecuted. Protestants were persecuted in France and Spain with the full approval of the Church authorities. We have always defended the persecution of the Huguenots and the Spanish Inquisition, wherever and whenever there is honest Catholicity, there will be a clear distinction drawn between truth and error, and Catholicity and all forms of error, when she thinks it good to use physical force, she will use it, Professor Alfred Baudrillard, rector of the Catholic Institute of Paris, says, the Catholic Church is a respecter of conscience and of liberty, she has, and she loudly proclaims that she has, a horror of blood, nevertheless, when confronted by heresy, she does not content herself with persuasion, arguments of an intellectual and moral order appear to her insufficient, and she has recourse to force, to corporal punishment, to torture, she creates tribunals like those of the Inquisition, she calls the laws of the state to her aid, if necessary she encourages a crusade, or a religious war, and all her horror of blood practically culminates into urging the secular power to shed it which proceeding is almost more odious for it is less frank than shedding it herself. Especially did she act thus in the 16th century with regard to Protestants, not content to reform morally, to preach by example, to convert people by eloquent and holy missionaries. She lit in Italy, in the Low Countries, and above all in Spain, the funeral piles of the Inquisition, in France under Francis I and Henry I, in England under Mary Tudor, she tortured the heretics, whilst both in France and Germany during the second half of the 16th and the first half of the 17th century if she did not actually begin, at any rate she encouraged and actively aided the religious wars, the Catholic Church, the Renaissance and Protestantism, London, Keegan Paul, Trench, Trugner and Company Limited 1908, pages 182, 183, she has done it the Church of Rome has worn out the saints of the Most High. The Prophet in Vision saw an